Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is November 11th, and this is episode 63 of the Cold Brew Podcast. I'm Dave Gasper, joined by Matt Carroll. As always, we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. And there's a lot to talk about this week concerning the Brewers. And, you know, the GM meetings have kicked off, and the offseason is, is fully underway. we got rumors popping up left and right, um, and, you know, a lot of uh, different conversation and uh Regarding the Brewers lately, the conversations have once again been surrounding their president of baseball operations, David Stearns. You know, I mean, we've been well, we've gone over this at length, Matt. You know, we, we've talked about mm-hmm. this a couple of times. The Mets are like, oh, the, the Mets want David Stearns. They want him to be the president of baseball ops. And they asked permission. And Mark Atanasio said no again for the third <laughs> time in four years. And yet we get the report out of the athletic the other day that the Mets are just like, fine, we'll wait. We'll wait until your contract is up or whatever, and then we will go and get you. And honestly, seeing that report and and just seeing what the Mets are thinking, it is the saddest, most desperate and pathetic strategy I have ever seen. I mean, you can... (laughs) It's just, uh, it's so ridiculous. Like, I, I I can't, I feel like I can't formulate thoughts around how ridiculous this is. It, it, is this just space filler? Like, it, what what is the point of putting out this story at this point? Like, it just makes the Mets look even worse and more incompetent in that, like, oh, we're just going to ride it out until our candidate that we keep getting told no about hopefully this time is available which clearly wouldn't even be a sure thing like yeah and really? it's like you're you're torpedoing your entire president of baseball operations search now in the hopes that this guy is going to be available next year when there's not even anything close to a guarantee about that and it's it's absolutely insane and like like I mean, they're looking at the Mets search right now. I mean, the, the Mets have been trying to search. They're trying to get all these guys. Everyone is saying no. Either the owners won't let their guys interview or the or they are allowed to interview, and then they decide to back out on their own. They're like, eh, I don't want this. No one wants this. And, you know, honestly, this report coming out that they are looking uh, for Stearns and waiting for Stearns makes a little bit of sense in, in the way how things are acting, because even just for the regular GM job, no one's really taken it. I mean, even even assistants, you know, that, that could get a chance for a promotion, um, you know, even even people who have a very tough time, you know, climbing the ladder. Um, it's, you know, they're turning it down. And according to the report, you know, the, the GM that they hire this year is just going to be a one year placeholder until they can hire Stearns. Oh, and like, that's not a good sales pitch to your other candidates here. Like, it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to have you bring in. We're going to make, you're going to make the decisions for one year. And then we're going to hire someone else above you and you're going to get demoted. Like what, what, why would anyone sign up for that? What, what is the point of that? How are you going to attract anyone to that? And then if like, like what happens if you get 2022 and Stearns signs an extension with Milwaukee. Or say you do interview Stearns, and Stearns you know, looks at your organization and like, eh, no thanks. I'm going to stick in Milwaukee. You know, I, I, I don't want to go over here. Then what? Because now you've had three years essentially wasted because last year was wasted because they got in way too late. Um, and then they end up, ended up hiring Jared Porter, um, who had a serious sexual harassment issue. So honestly, it's not surprising that the Mets don't understand that no means no uh, when it comes to this type of situation. <laughs> and it's I I wanted to save that joke for on here instead of on Twitter because it's it's so bad. But yeah, that is not a joke meant for Twitter that I am keeping that here. Um, but. Am I wrong, though? They don't understand that no means no at this point. They've been told no three times that, hey, Stearns is in a happy married relationship here. And it's like, you just think that because you're rich, you can just buy whoever. It's like, oh, 
you're with someone who's poor or not as good looking. I am, I'm rich. You should be with me. And it's like, no, happily married, please leave. And you're, you're just, you're, you're not you're like, you're just continuing to pursue and you just can't get it out of your head. It, it's so sad. I just, if you're, if you're David Stearns, like, uh, is it flattering that a team is so obsessed with wanting to hire you that they are willing to wait for years to appear? Did, did you see his you, comments or today? Just, or did, did, I, I did saw you... the, I, I saw the, I am happily employed by Milwaukee or however it was he put it. So um, John Heyman had an additional tweet after that. He ended up deleting oh. it. Um, but he had an additional tweet of that where, um, he was asked about, um, basically like a team saying, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we'll just kind of, you know, wait for you. And, um, according to Heyman's tweet, it made Stearns very uncomfortable. Like, like Stearns (laughs) is uncomfortable, like, you know, with like another team trying to wait until, uh, he's single and available again, um, to, to pursue him. Like, like that's weird. You know, and, and Stearns is uncomfortable. It's like, oh, wow, this is a great job, Mets. The guy that you want, you are making him so immensely uncomfortable right now with what you're doing and what your plans are. Like, how is that going to make make you attractive to him and make make him want to spend more time with you when you're already making him uncomfortable and he doesn't even work for you? Yeah. I, and what makes them think that with everything that has happened here with Stearns having turned it down multiple times with the bad look of doing something, this with the numerous other people who have um, declined even interviewing for the position that David Stearns all of a sudden next year is going to be like, you know what that Mets job. Yeah, I do want that. Like, are they 100% only banking on the fact that a, he wants more money and B, he wants to go to his childhood uh home because we've talked about that at length here about how like yes that is um an enticing thing for some people but so is stability so is organizational competence and so what makes you think that that Stearns is all the good all of a sudden next year going to be just complete 180 and decide that yes the Mets are my future home why would he why would anyone want to go there let alone as talented of an executive as David Stearns yeah. I mean, uh, according to the article in The Athletic, um, the Mets are operating under the assumption uh, that his contract is up um, after 2022 um, and that Stearns has interest in their position. So they're really kind of rolling the dice on a hope and a prayer that, you know, A, the report is true that Stearns is interested and B, that the report is also true that his contract is up after next season. The Brewers don't release those details. And, um, you know, when, when they announced that extension, everything at the time, and they're like, Oh, we're, we're not going to tell you how many years we're not going to tell you how much money we're going to keep that private. And everyone's like, ah, come on, what's the harm in it. And they're like, you know, it's like, if we don't have to disclose it, there's like, there's no advantage to us disclosing it. And now we see why, because I mean, if if that had been widely known um, and easily confirmed by the Brewers, then everything would be would be different here. Um, so it's it, it's a it's incredible, really. Um, the, it, it's almost a definition of insanity for the Mets. Every single offseason for the past however many years, they've been hoping to get David Stearns and get him in for an interview. And each year they try, and each year they get rejected, and each year they're expecting that, and they're hoping that they're going to be allowed to to talk to him. And it's just it's not going to happen. Mark Atanasio is going to do whatever it takes uh, to sign Stearns to an extension, I feel. Um, so I'm I'm not really worried about that. And it it's just such a bad look for the Mets that, the, that they keep on doing this. Um, you know, it's I, I saw someone in, a, in our fan sided Slack chat um, who said that this is kind of the equivalent of a dude um you know, still kind of pining after his high school girlfriend that uh, he, that they broke up 20 years ago, still pining after her and his while living in his parents' basement. You know, like it's it's like you broke up 20 years ago. It's over. That was high school. Like move on with your life. And 
They they just can't. They they cannot move on with their life and realize, hey, that person you're after is in a very happy relationship, uh, very happy where they are, and does not want you. And all the insanity of that aside, you've got a team right now that has, you know, Jacob deGrom, uh, Noah Syndergaard, I believe they threw the qualifying offer at. Yep, qualifying um, offer. correctly. You've got Pete Alonzo, you know, uh, Jeff McNeil. You've got lots of young talent on that this team that, if run competently, could potentially compete. They did for a long time last season before they tailed off uh, about halfway through. So you would think that they would want to start getting uh, – the structure in place while this window is currently potentially open and yet they're you're, they're just going to delay it and then just waste these potential years i mean just move on with your life get hire someone else for gm get a friggin manager and start trying to be a real baseball team like it, it it's sad it is we've all we've said it so many times now yeah uh, but it bears repeating it is sad it, it is sad it is desperate it is it is pathetic and, and really um i mean it you know as soon as the Mets were sold to steve cohen everyone's like oh it's gonna be so much better now has it really been no. like like it, it's it still seems like a disaster over there um so i mean that that's their problem you know like yeah. it's you know, Stearns is Stearns is our guy in Milwaukee. Um, so for them, you know, they they had him as an intern before. They let him go. They they didn't you know keep him on full time or whatever. And that's uh, their mistake, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Oh well. Uh, speaking of David Stearns and the decisions uh, that he makes, we talked last week about. Uh, Avisail Garcia and whether he should get the qualifying offer or not. Matt, you said no. I said yes. And David Stearns leaned towards uh, Matt and and found his argument better uh, and decided not to give the qualifying offer to Avisail Garcia. And I, I guess there just there had to be concern that he was going to accept it because you know otherwise if you feel like he is going to outright reject it and uh you know seek that big multi-year deal um then obviously you're going to give it but if there's concern that he's going to accept because it's it's going to be tough to see garcia beating an 18 million dollar 18.4 million dollar average annual value on a long-term contract uh this offseason that, that's just, that's just going to be a little bit tough to see mm-hmm. yeah it absolutely um there was still the hope that, you know, he would um, reject it, thinking that maybe he's going for the, you know, longevity. He wants the long-term contract. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's why he's going into free agency in the first place. Um, it would have been nice to have that draft pick. Um, but at the same time, yes, there was the risk that we would have been paying him a lot of money. There's also the risk that um, he regresses after last year. He mm-hmm. is in his 30s now. Um, and I, I feel like we didn't actually touch on that a whole lot when we talked about the risks last year, all of it, or last week. A lot of it was just surrounding the money portion of it. Um, but he did have a down year in 2020. In 2018, um, he's had his good season. He kind of has in every other um, little routine that he follows right now. And so is he going to show that consistency going forward? Is he going to show that consistency in 2022? I would have thought that he would have had a, as good a chance of doing it with us than with anyone, because he would have, you know, now three years of consistency in the same um, venue with the same team and whatnot. Um, But, you know, I, he's a very, very good player, but I don't think there's any guarantee that, he's going to perform exactly in 2022 like he did in 21. Um, and so that's, you know, possibly a bit of a bullet that was dodged by the Brewers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's a safer option to go with, um, and, and especially for a small market team like the Brewers, um, you know, an $18.4 million uh, salary, um, he'd be he'd be the second highest player, second highest paid player on the team because Yelch is now going to be getting $26 million next year. Um, and that'd be a lot of money 
mm-hmm. to pay for uh, your right fielder, especially when you're paying so much already for your left fielder. Um, and then obviously your two center fielders and Kane and uh, Bradley also make up a significant portion uh, of that payroll. So that, that does make things quite tough. And yeah, if you think that he could accept that, um, that that's just a risk that's, that's too tough to take. Um, and, and you can find someone else to kind of fill that uh, gap in right field uh, at least for a year or two. I mean, you don't need to go out and get a four and sign someone to a four or five year uh, contract in that outfield. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I think Joey Weimer could be the right fielder of the future um, mm. in Milwaukee. I mean, the way he's been hitting uh, throughout the season and he's got an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, so he he can be in right field and he's got the power for it and the hit tool. So. It's just kind of a matter of time of getting him to be ready um, and just kind of figuring figuring out what you're going to do. But, yeah. So, yes, you want to prepare your outfield for the future. Um, and I think in doing so, there are some potential stopgap options out there. Um, we're just starting to see kind of releases of a lot of these like top 30, top 50, top 100 free agent lists. And there's always plenty of outfielders to choose from. Um, I know one I've seen here and there um, is Michael Conforto out uh, from the Mets. Um, You'll see in a piece that'll be coming here in the next couple of days um, on MLB trade rumors, top 50 free agent list. One of their writers has him predicted to the Brewers. Um, he, could potentially be a little pricey, but if you're only paying it for one year, you see what you have and then kind of go from there. Um, I, I think that's an option. You could go plenty cheaper than that, though, um, and still get a very quality player um, who can anchor down right field for a year um, or mm-hmm. not necessarily anchor down, quote unquote, but be in the mix with, um, you know, Bradley Jr. and Tyrone Taylor, who should um, be earning more playing time in 2022. So um, I, I think that's a problem that can be solved uh, in a lot better way than paying $18.4 million to Avisail Garcia. Yeah. And Conforto is someone who did receive the qualifying offer and who has rejected that qualifying offer. And Scott Boris is his agent. Um, So you know how that's going to go. But really for Conforto, you know, he's someone that coming off such a down year, I figured he'd probably be a candidate for a one-year prove-it type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know at this point, you know, now that he's gotten the QO and has rejected it at $18.4 million, he's going to be looking for at least $18.4 million. Right. He's going to want at least that equivalent um, to sign wherever, you know, even if it's not with the Mets. Uh, he's going to be looking for something like that um, so he can, you know, at least, you know, because he's not going to reject 18.4 million and then sign with someone on a one-year deal for 12. You know, right. like there, there's no way Scott Boris does that. There, there, there is zero percent chance. Um, so they're going to, you know, see what happens there. But Conforto at 100 percent, I think, is a much better player than Avisail Garcia at 100 percent. Yes. Yes, exactly what I was going to say. Um, I, I think if you're weighing the two, Conforto before last year, before he took that dip, had much better consistency when it came to offense than Avi did. So if you're weighing whether to drop a whole chunk of money on Garcia or Conforto, by, you know, my feelings, you're going to go Conforto. Um, but again, you know, like I said, there there are other cheaper options that you can go with. Um, there, there are ways that the Brewers can address this. So um, it's losing Avi. I, I think we... Saw it coming. I think the qualifying offer um, could have gone one way or the other, but I think we were all prepared to be moving on this offseason without him in right field. Um, and there are some other, you know, serious holes that can be addressed um, in a lot different way than that. Yeah, uh, for sure. And one of those other holes is uh, first base. Um, that That's a position that's kind of been a hole for the past uh, decade or so. Um, and I had a piece that went up the other day on uh, three free agents who received the qualifying offer uh, that the Brewers uh, could or should uh, pursue. And one of them on there is Brandon Belt. 
uh, noted Brewers killer, mm-hmm. Brandon Belt, by the way. He had five home runs against the Brewers in seven games this year. That was the second most, like, that was the team with the second most home runs that he hit against all season. Like, the only team that he hit more home runs against in 2021 was the Colorado Rockies. And he played against them 17 times. Mm-hmm. All right. He played against the Brewers seven. And he had five homers with, like, a 1,300 OPS. Like, it was insane, the numbers that he put up. And if he's going to be torching your pitching staff, well, that seems like a, a good guy to have on your team. You know, you know, get him on your side uh, so that he doesn't torture pitching staff except in uh, batting practice or whatever, and that doesn't hurt anyone's stat sheet. Um, that, that seems uh, like a good idea if you can get him away from San Francisco, which is going to be tough. He hasn't made the decision either way yet on that qualifying offer. But getting Belt out of San Francisco is going to be tough to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had seen that uh, potentially the qualifying offer could just be, you know, the start of extension talks with him or contract talks with him. So that could be what that ends up leading to. Um, They look like they, you know, obviously have interest in keeping him if they uh, made the offer to him. So um i i don't know if he leaves there either um but that would be certainly a nice uh first base option for the brewers to finally have uh someone who's actually shown kind of some um success in the past over more than just a year or two like you know vogelback or telez you're still in going forward with them going off of kind of some um limited offensive successful campaigns um so It'd be nice to get him over here. It'd be nice um, to have him. I, I, I would love to see him as a left-handed first baseman in Miller Park, um, getting mm. to show that off. Um, I Yeah, I, I could have some baseball dreams about that. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It, it, in terms of the Brewers, is that, you know, to what level do they want to um, explore first base? And um, we this question keeps coming up. At what point will we know about the universal DH and, you know, how does that play into what they do with first base and who they retain and all that, just a lot of questions surrounding that position. But I, I certainly wouldn't complain if he ended up in a brewer uniform. Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't either. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you mentioned there with first base, I mean, they have a bunch of options currently. Um, and Kesson here is someone that they're really going to want to get regular everyday playing time because they believe he can be um, a really, really good hitter at the big league level. Um, so it's just kind of a matter of, of getting him back on track and trying to, um, you know, get that position finally situated. But yeah, Belt is someone, I mean, he could, if you bring him in, you know, whether it's first base, whether it's DH or whatever you got, uh, he's someone that can solidify the position for a couple of years. He's 33, um, so he's a little bit on the older side as as a free agent. Um, but really, at first base, the athleticism, you know, is, is not really much of what you need. I mean, you, you can play first base for a much longer period of time than you can play, you know, shortstop or center mm-hmm. field or, you know, any position that requires more athleticism and speed. I mean, so there's kind of less concerns uh, for me there with the age. I mean, the bat obviously still plays. Um, it's not really slowing down at all. In fact, it got much better this year. Um, and if he's putting up, you know, this great of numbers at age 33, um, it's, it's still pretty encouraging. Yeah. It's, I was actually surprised. Uh, it, it, I don't feel like I remembered him being in the league as long as he has been. So when I saw that he was 33, um, that jumped out at me a little bit, but I agree. Um, and I think that, you know, his age potentially um, determines what length of contract you give him anyway. Do you only go, you know, two or three years with him? That seems to be a contract length that Stearns has been plenty comfortable with. Um, he doesn't give out a whole lot longer than that anyway, unless it's something, you know, major extension. Like signing someone to Like Yelich. Um, like the five-year that uh, Peralta got, um, although he is obviously much, much, much younger. Um, So, you know, even at that age, I don't think they end up signing him to a super long contract as it is. So, you know, again, that doesn't necessarily have to be a a factor that rules him out by any means. 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I think he'd be an interesting option. But I, again, you know, getting him out of San Francisco uh, will be tough. Speaking of trying to get a qualifying offer guy um, out of California being tough, another guy on my on my list, my article there, Chris Taylor. Um, he's been kind of a, a super utility guy with a really good bat in in Los Angeles with the Dodgers for a couple for a couple of years now. Um, he was an All Star in 2021. Uh, but I mean, he's someone that can hit 250, 270, um, above average, above league average hitter, hit 20 homers this past year. Um, he can provide a lot. You know, he, he's a really, really good, solid hitter came up in the clutch in the postseason, and he can play everywhere. He's played every infield spot, every outfield spot. Um, and that seems like the type of guy Craig council would love to have at his disposal. Um, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to be willing to pay 18 plus million dollars a season for him. Um, and, I, and I'm not sure if Chris Taylor's expecting that, uh, but he should have a strong market and, um, you know, for the brewers where he could fit in at least immediately, I, I believe would be right field. Um, but after that, you know, whenever, uh, some of the brewers outfield prospects are ready, then, you know, you could, you know, you see where the holes are. You know, there, you know, there could be a hole at second base or, um, you know, at third base or shortstop or, you know, who knows where it could be. Um, so he could he could play there as well. Yeah. Um, I, like you said, I, exactly the type of player that uh, Stearns loves to bring in. Um, right field makes a whole lot of sense, although he spent most of his outfield time in left and center. Um, but I mean, that's where the need is for the Brewers is over and right. Um he did last year play, you know, a handful, a very small handful of games over at third, so he could spell Urias at times. Um, you know, he can pop in uh, for Wong. He actually played a career high amount of games at second base last year. So if Wong, you know, does uh, find himself often on the injured list again in 2022, um, you would have him as a potential backup there. Um, there's a whole lot that Taylor would bring to the table. I would be very excited if I saw his name um, attached to the Brewers. So um, we'll see with him. I haven't seen the uh, contract predictions for him, so I don't know um, what they're thinking. Although, uh, like you said, um, qualifying offers went out, so that kind of set somewhat of a base. Um, but yeah, he would be a, definitely a really intriguing name. Yeah, for sure. And, and for all the people demanding that the Brewers play Taylor in right field, you may end up having to be a bit more specific. Uh, <laughs> true. You got Chris Taylor, you got Tyrone. Um, I know a lot of people want Tyrone. Um, and he did really well in limited time uh, in 2021. And he proved himself certainly worthy of being a big league outfielder. But is he a big league starting outfielder that that's really kind of the question is, is he a fourth outfielder type just just a really good fourth outfielder or can he be a quality everyday right fielder for the Brewers because right now that I think that's where he is on the depth chart you know I, as much as I love Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, I don't think you can pencil him in every single day uh, in right field um you know, I think he's more kind of I think JBJ is going to be more kind of your backup, even though you're paying him like he's a starter. But do you think Tyrone can can be a starter every single day and right? I oh, I think he can. I think an ideal world for the Brewers is that he doesn't have to be. Um, and I think an ideal world for David Stearns is that he doesn't have to be because we know Stearns loves having. Um, a ton of different outfielders to choose from when it comes to who starts. Um, but I guess you, so here's how you wait a little bit, you know, do you want to sacrifice a little bit of offensive power potentially if Taylor is a little bit even closer to average next year? Um, but instead put those resources towards somewhere like first base or something and like guarantee some lockdown offense there. Um, I think if that's the case, then maybe, you know, having Taylor play some more games is OK. Um, but I, I just know you, we know based off of the past, based off of, you know, what he's really invested in the outfield that I don't think they end up going into the season with him, with them having to ro rely so much on Taylor starting games. Um, I, I think he can, but 
again, should he? I don't know. Love the guy. Love the guy. But um, I think the Brewers are in a better world if he's not having to start. Right, for sure. But and, and at the same time, though, you're never really going to know if he can start and be that everyday guy until you give him that opportunity. I mean, he got plenty of opportunities in 2021, and he proved he, he's worthy of, of playing more often, at the very least, um, and, and getting a lot more pinch hit at bats and, and getting more fill-in time. Um, he proved himself worthy of that. Um, and you, you're just not going to know. I mean, and this really kind of goes for anyone coming up. You don't know for sure if they can handle that position every single day until you give them the opportunity to do so. And especially for someone like Taylor, who had such an up and down minor league career um, and just kind of finally uh, now as kind of a late bloomer in his late twenties, um, getting the opportunity, the opportunity to uh, play in the big leagues a lot more often and, and just, you know, be a big league player. He, he's finally at that level. Um, you know, there, there's really nothing left for him to prove in triple a. So he's now finally there. Um, and he's finally reached, you know, this point. And how can you know if he's going to reach the point above? You got to give him a shot. You know, you, you didn't know he could be a big league quality outfielder for years until they finally brought him up. They first brought him up in 2019 at the end, and they brought him up in 2020 uh, for a little bit. And now they finally gave him a spot in, in 2021, and he proved himself worthy. Because um, that was a question for the longest time, too. Because, I mean, Taylor was such a highly touted prospect when he was first drafted out of high school all the way back in 2012. Um, you know, he's he's been around in this system for a while. And there was always these questions the past couple of years. Is he a big league outfielder? Like, like do we know? Now that he's finally gotten the opportunity, we do know he's a big league outfielder. Now the question, can he be a starter? He's got to get that opportunity. Um, and that's just going to kind of be, you know, I, I think that's where David Stearns and his analytics, analytical staff and, and his scouting staff is going to have to look at him and have to develop a feel, you know, w- w- heading into 2022. Okay. What do we think this guy is? Do we think he can be a starter? Do we think he is a starter or do we think he's just a backup? Um, and, and that's where you just, that that's where you kind of earn the money as an executive in baseball. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, if you really look at the pure numbers, um, Tyrone Taylor, he played in um, 93 games last year, started 56, ended up with a, you know, 1.6 baseball reference war and 1.5 on fan graphs. Zero is middle of the road replacement player. And he's 1.5, 1.6 unlimited innings. I mean, that's that's pretty good performance wise. So. And I guess when you look at it that way, um, the numbers are almost telling you that, yes, he's ready to be a starter. Um, But again, do you how much do you rely on the numbers of one single year? Does that completely tell the picture of he's ready to, you know, take the reins or does it, you know, does it not? Um, Again, I I still think um, in perfect world, you have another outfielder in that mix, but. I wouldn't complain if we went into the season with him uh, ready to take over some more playing time. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't think Taylor's going to be, you know, like an all-star, you know, caliber player. You know, I'm, I'm not expecting, um, you know, big, you know, too big of things from him. Um, but it's, he, he did take quite the leap. Um, and, you know, especially if Yelich gets back on track and Hira gets back on track uh, you don't really need Tyrone Taylor to put up all-star level numbers. I mean, he, he can just be solid, a steady presence and, you know, the six or seven spot in the lineup um, and, and just kind of bring in uh, what he brings to the table. Um, so in an ideal world, they, they don't need him to, to supply an all-star level talent as well. Um, and part of, you know, getting those other guys, you know, like Yelich and Hira back on track is going to be hiring the right hitting coach or coaches mm-hmm. as just before we started recording today, the Brewers, like, like we, like we set a time here, we're going to, it's like, okay, let's record this. And as soon as we're just about to start, the Brewers are like, Hey, let's announce our new hitting coaches. So it's like, Oh, great. Limited time to prepare for this. <laughs> um, 
I appreciate that, Brewers. Thank you. Uh, but but thank you for telling us, and they made the hires. Okay, so the two Brewers hitting coaches now, co-hitting coaches, Ozzie Timmons and Connor Dawson. Ozzie Timmons was uh, most recently the Rays' first base coach, um, but uh, plenty of plenty of hitting background. And uh, Connor Dawson was the Mariners minor league uh, hitting coordinator. So uh, they kind of got the best of both worlds sort of here. Like they got two very different perspectives with these guys. So Ozzie Timmons, I'm, I'm going to refer to Ozzie Timmons as the main uh, hitting coach. And that's mostly because Timmons is 51. Um, he, he's the elder one of the group. Connor Dawson is 28. All right. So he he's just a baby. Um, it's ironic how we're just talking about like Tyron Taylor. It's like, oh, he's in his late 20s. You now he's kind of a late bloomer. Connor Dawson's 28. It's like, oh, he's just a baby. I, I just that just kind of popped in my head. But anyways, um, so Dawson is kind of your young up and coming analytically minded uh, hitting coach that, that we've kind of been talking about the past couple of weeks. Um, Timmons is kind of more your, your old school, um, at, at least in terms of resume, you know, professional player, uh, for a long time, been a coach for a long time, done a lot of different coaching roles around the game. Um, so that's something that I, I think really stands out to me when, when looking at these two, what, what was your first impression, Matt, of, uh, the hire of Ozzie Timmons and, and Connor Dawson. I mean, it, my, I, I guess the first thing I think of when I uh, am thinking about possible hitting coach candidates is what team are they coming from? And so when I saw that um, Timmons came from the Rays, a team that puts up a whole lot of runs um, and Dawson comes from the Mariners who have had a lot of uh, really good young hitters come through the pipeline over the last few years. Um, I, I think those are both really good starting points to get excited about if you're a Brewers fan, um, especially Timmons. I mean, it, it did say he was um, assistant hitting coach as well over there. So I don't know, you know, to what extent you get involved as that. I think Jacob Cruz was plenty involved as an assistant hitting coach with the Brewers. So I have to uh, imagine that Timmons had quite a bit of a handprint on that offense. Um, but I mean, look at what they did. And if you look at them last year, um, you know, they had a 243 average, which was kind of, um, you know, not super, super high, but also not a brewer's level by any means. Um, and a 321 on base percentage. Um, and they managed to put up quite a bit of runs, um, with those numbers on the board. So, um, they definitely found a way to manufacture runs there. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see what Timmons in particular brings over here as a philosophy um, to just find a way to get the Brewers offense to put runs on the board, because ultimately that's what this is all about. Yeah. And for Timmons, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading uh, Adam McAlvey, friend of the podcast, Adam McAlvey's uh, article here, uh, and he brings up a, an interesting story. So uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, we're second in the majors at 5.29 runs per game this past season. And Timmons did 10 push-ups for each run scored by Tampa Bay over the past four years that he was there. So that that's kind of a, a motivating factor. I like that. You know, still, you know, even though he's he's 51, he's still he still works out. He's still, you know. Does his push-ups? He's still strong. Um, I think that's a I think that's a good motivating factor too for the players. I mean, being able to to see that and that kind of gets them going and, and makes them want to score more runs. Be, I mean, you know, they want to score more runs to begin with, anyways. But still, I mean, that's just kind of a, an extra little thing um, that that just kind of makes it more fun. And baseball's fun, right? You know, we're we're all having fun out there. Um, so that's something that I found really uh, really cool. So. You know, Timmons, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, re I really kind of like this. You know, I mean, it's it's not who I was looking at. It wasn't Tim Hires. I am a, I am a little bit sad about that. He went to the Texas Rangers. Mm -hmm. When I saw that, I threw my pen across the room. Um, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was not happy. I'm like, come on. How could we not get this guy? 
Um, but oh well, um, it wasn't any of the candidates we go we went over, um, which is kind of sad. I think it really would have been fun if if they actually chose someone that that we listed. But yeah, I mean, the, I, I really like this. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, to see that um, they're not done with their search for um, Mm. bolstering the hitting coach team um, because they did say that they are still looking for an assistant hitting coach to um, kind of add in to make a trio with these two guys being the co-hitting coach. So they are still looking for um, some more fresh eyes to get on that offense. And so I don't think that's uh, anything that obviously we were expecting to hear either. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, I think, really cool. And, I mean, we, we looked at San Francisco. You know, their offense was better than expected this year. Um, and, and that's where we looked at uh, um, Dustin Lind and uh, a couple other candidates from there because um, they had, like, three hitting coaches over there. Uh, very collaborative approach. And now the Brewers are going to be going to that same kind of uh, method, too, um, which, which is very interesting. And, uh, you know, obviously they, they haven't decided – uh, they, they said in the article here from uh, McAlvey that they haven't decided exactly uh, what they're looking for yet um, in terms of uh, the profile for the assistant heading coach. But, I mean, that's going to come from Timmons and Dawson getting together and just kind of figuring out what it is they want. I mean, they, they just kind of did the interviews um, and, you know, have just hired them. So they haven't really been able – like, you know, Timmons didn't know who he'd be working with and Dawson didn't know who he'd be working with, I'm assuming. Um, so now that they finally are officially together, they can work on that and, and uh, discuss the profile that they want for that and, and who they could bring in uh, to fill that role. But, I mean, going with three hitting coaches instead of two, instead of two uh, I think that's going to be great. I mean, Stearns uh, commented as well about how you know, the game of baseball has changed and, you know, the roles of hitting coaches has changed and you have a lot more on your plate now as a hitting coach. Um, so instead of just putting all of this on the plate of one uh, or two guys, they're going to get them an extra help, you know, get get them a third guy, uh, have have co-hitting coaches, have, have whatever. Um, so it's, you know, I, I think they're they're kind of going into the, the next generation of, of baseball coaching staffs here. Yeah, and you know what? Um, the Brewers can be a bit of an or- unorthodox team uh, here and there. The no, way that, um, really? Right? The way, you know, that we're throwing out openers in NLCS games and, you know, the way that, you know, we uh, the Brewers really love to have um, uh, players on offense who can field multiple positions. You know, they do things a little bit differently than other teams in some respects. And so, you know, why not kind of jump on this bandwagon of uh, having a few different uh, points of view when it comes to the offense? So um, I am all for it. Like I said, um, I think it's nice to have, you know, you have guys with different Timmons, who is a little bit, quote unquote, older school versus uh, Connor being, you know, young and analytical. Um, So you have that, you have, you know, different types of teams that they came from. Um, I, I think the different perspectives that they will be able to bring to this offense um, will be a good thing and can work with a variety of different types of players um, like the Brewers have. And so I, I think that's a, a positive that you gain when you have these different um, perspectives is that, you know, if it's one guy and he is the hitting coach and it's his message being passed along every once in a while, there, there can be certain players that don't quite receive your message. and now you have um, some different ways of being able to communicate that, um, and I think that'll be a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, bringing Timmons over from Tampa Bay, uh, another guy who might be uh, maybe a little bit happy is Willie Adamas, mm-hmm. um, who's obviously going to know Timmons uh, quite well, um, and they're probably going to be just also still super excited that they're no longer playing in the trop uh, <laughs> because. We all know the trap caused issues for Adamas. Um, and, you know, he came over here, made some changes, and uh, was in a much better ballpark, and, and he got a whole lot better. Um, so that's going to be uh, really, really kind of fun to see. Um, the Brewers have a lot of former Mariners, um, although I don't know if Dawson really worked with many uh, of them. But, 
still, I mean, I, I really like this, uh, this group, this hire, although, you know, as soon as it gets to uh, one game where they're shut out, uh, you know, Twitter is going to be calling for these guys to get fired <laughs> mm-hmm. because that's just how it works. You know, like everyone, we're all happy about it now. As soon as the offense goes into a slump, fire them, right? Yeah, they're not actually going to do that, but everyone on Twitter is going to call for it. That is how it works. I'm I'm just I'm trying to picture right now Ozzy Timmons walking out of the dugout for the for his first home game at American Family Field and looking around and seeing that it's not uh, Tropicana Field and just having a sense of relief. Just oh my God, this is my home now. Oh, thank you, baseball gods. Imagine the sense of relief on the fans hearing the hitting coach's name and have it not be Andy Haynes. This is true too. Like he's gonna get he's gonna get a louder ovation than Christian Yelich just because he's not Andy Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. And and not to that's like twenty times more fans than he'll be used to hearing an ovation from. (laughs) That's also true. Oh my god. We are just ripping uh on (laughs) <laughs> ripping sorry, on Tampa. Somebody. Ripping but on Tampa. Sorry. Ripping on Andy Haynes. Oh man. Ripping on the Mets. Ripping on. That, that's did rip on the, the Mets deserve it. Uh, oh my yeah. god. It, but it is it is low hanging fruit. But True. damn it, it is fun sometimes. And sometimes you know, it's just low hanging fruit's tasty. Yeah, it is. It sure is. <laughs> oh my god, the Mets. Uh, anyways, um, but yeah, so those are the, the new hitting coaches. Um, so I, I think it's going to be very interesting to, to see what they do and and how they can get this offense back on track. And, you know, you got a bunch of different perspectives. Um, you know, as we kind of talked about here, the more old school, the young analytical, um, and uh, you know, that's going to help, I think, because I mean, as you as you were kind of alluding to earlier, um, you have one like when you have one hitting coach, it's one guy giving one message and some and not everyone always gets that message. So, you know, maybe they're maybe you have half the players that are more your old school, traditional type guys. They, they respond to that type of coaching. And then the other half of them respond better to the, the analytical, more new school uh, approach. And when you just have one of that half your team is going to be kind of uh, left out, left hanging out to dry. But when you have both, then everyone should be covered. Right. And you know, obviously there are some of the very best hitting coaches, um, you know, just like a, you know, like a leader or manager at a, at a job, you know, the very best ones um, are able to tailor their message to whomever and able to reach multiple different types of people in an audience. Um, but that's why they are, you know, the very best hitting coaches. Not every hitting coach is going to be great at that. You want them to be, um, but it's just a, a matter of fact that they might not be. And so, you know, yeah, exactly like we've been saying, I think you just have more of a chance of delivering your message when you have, um, you know, a tandem like this. So it, I'll be, I'm really interested to see how it works. But I, I think that was a good point pointing out um, uh, San Francisco and how successful they were uh, with the kind of the setup that they had. And so clearly it can work. And so um, I, I, I have full faith that Milwaukee will be able to get this working. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited to to see what happens there. And, uh, you know, really excited to see what they can do with uh, Christian Yelich and Kesson here to to get those guys back on track. All right, the uh, the Gold Glove Awards were uh, this past week. They were handed out, and the Brewers came up empty. They had two finalists, Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr. I don't think anyone really expected Jackie Bradley Jr. to win, but Colton Wong uh, has been the two-time reigning National League Gold Glove winner at second base, and he he came up short this year somehow to his own replacement in St. Louis, Tommy Edmond, um, despite Wong having much better numbers in a lot of categories. But the three DL stints, I, I think, are the only thing that kept Wong from his third straight gold glove. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree. That's the only thing I can think of 
um, that would explain it, to be honest, because um, I think when you looked at basically everything outside of outs above average um, in which Wong did trail um, uh, Edmund, he he led it in, or they tied, I guess, in defensive run saved. He had less errors um, and a better, you know, and yes, he played less games, but he had a better fielding percentage. So um, it, it still would have translated across a full season. Um, it just seemed by all rights that Wong was the better defender. But you're right. Um, the best ability, even defensive ability, is availability. So I guess that caught up to him in the end. I, I really did not see uh, Wong losing that. So that was kind of a bummer. But, I mean, all kinds of Cardinals got gold gloves this year. So apparently it was yeah. just a year for that. Except Yachty. Go figure. Yeah. Five Cardinals walk away with gold gloves. The Brewers have barely had five. Have they had five gold gloves combined in the past, like, 20 years? Like, uh, no. No, they have not. Not in the last 20. <laughs> They've had two. Just uh, Kane and... Three. Because, no, two. Kane and Gomez. They right? had to have more, right? Hold on. I, was, I, I just wrote about this. I should have this uh, front of mind. But, Pat, uh, before those two... It was, you have to go all the way back to uh, 1980. Yeah. Uh, where are we at? No, it was just uh, Kane and Gomez. Uh, the the last one before that, yeah, it was Yount in 82. Oh, my God. Cecil Cooper in 80, Cooper and Lescano in 79, and then the run of five straight by George Scott back in the early 70s. But yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. Insane. Insane. I, I mean, the, the Brewers priding themselves on defense. They had such a great defense all season long. And they can't get a single gold glove. They, they, it's been so tough for them to get gold gloves at all in their entire history. And the Cardinals just somehow walk away with five in a single season. First base, second base, third base, left field, center field. Like, what? Was it, was their defense really that good? Like, we played them 19 times. I don't remember their defense being that good. I mean, okay, Arenado. Yes, Arenado gets a gold glove every single year because he's Nolan Arenado. Like, I get it. But seriously? I, I guess, if anything, I didn't even realize Tyler O'Neill played that many games. In my head, I felt like he had come up a little bit later um, in the season, but I maybe I'm completely off on that. No, he played 138 games, so he, he was in plenty of it. So that was the only thing that I maybe questioned. Harrison Bader absolutely deserved center field. I will definitely give him that. Um, but again, it still felt like Wong should have won at second base. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well. But where we do not need a robbery at all. I mean, a robbery at Gold Glove is whatever. But the Cy Young is coming up. And that's going to be <laughs> next week. So by the time we get to next week's podcast episode, we're going to have the results. Because those are announced on the 17th. Um, and Corbin Burns is a finalist along with Zach Wheeler and Max Scherzer. And I got to tell you, man, this had better be Burns. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> he, he is a finalist that, that was expected. Um, and, and it's great to see that he is, and it was a great day on the Corbin Burns, Cy Young hype train. Um, I, I think he's got it. I, th I think he should win. Um, I, will he, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the draw of Scherzer to some, um, just because of the name, uh, is going to be tough, but I, I just kind of feel deep down that it's going to be Burns and maybe I'm just biased, but I, I know they're different voters, but seeing Wong get kind of screwed out of the gold glove makes my faith in voters doing the right thing in general be on a little bit shaky ground when it comes to Burns. Is, is Gold just, Glove the baseball writers? It's not. No, I, I looked it up just to make sure it's determined uh, from voting by the managers and coaches in each league um, okay. who are not allowed to vote for their own players. So that's actually makes it even more interesting on the uh, Cardinals case because they were not voted for by their own coaches. Um, right. So, I mean, that's which would well be a done, very Cardinals thing to do, actually, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it? But it, Tony, Tony LaRusso would find a way if he was still managing that uh, club. We will not speak that man's name. 
Yeah. Well, he's Mike Schultz anyway, no longer managing that club either. So. Oh, but he's a finalist for manager of the year. That's awesome. Yeah. Along with Council, and both of them are likely to lose to Gabe Kapler. Yep. Yep. Probably. But anyway, getting back to Burns, I just we we know we've looked at we've poured over the numbers so many times. Like it just seems so obvious to a lot of us that Burns should be winning the Cy Young Award. And I think as I've seen a lot of comments come in from, you know, writers and fans and whatnot of other teams, I think there's a good portion of other people who believe that as well. But I just, I don't, I don't know if I have the faith that they will do the right thing. Again, like you said, Scherzer, he's got that big name. He's in a big market. He had a fantastic second half of the season um, to finish things out. And so if you're going on recency bias, you know, he's going to be at the top of a lot of people's minds. But Burns was great down the stretch as well. He was great all season. Like he didn't slow down. And so um, for sustain, it, it, the thing that is going to catch him in some people's eyes, as ridiculous as it is, is innings is that just, he didn't mm. show his talents over as much innings as these other guys did. And so to some, as I've been seeing them put it out is you show that you're a good pitcher by, you know, doing that in more innings and, and yeah. Okay. But at the same time, that doesn't show that you are a better pitcher, a better pitcher, mm -hmm. just plain dominates more and Burns dominated like no other pitcher did last season. And, yeah. and I'd thrown this out on, um, uh, on Twitter war uh, for those that follow it is a know that they know that it is a cumulative stat. So it is easier to compile a higher war the more innings that you play. And so for a pitcher, mm -hmm. it should be easier to beat a player like Burns in war, considering that you pitch so many more innings. And in Baseball References version of it, um, both Scherzer and Wheeler did beat Burns. But in Fangraph's version of it, they didn't. So Burns pitched that many less innings and still beat those other two players in war. And I think that is a huge, huge accomplishment. It shows just how great he was that he was able to exceed them in a stat like that, despite pitching a lesser amount of innings. And so I just, we know it should be Burns and hopefully the voters did the right thing. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you laid it out perfectly there. I mean, you're, you're definitely a, a key member on the uh, Corbin Burns signing <laughs> hype train um, in first class, first class passenger oh, yes. uh, on that hype train. Um, yeah. We got a, we're, we're, I'm hoping we can roll out the champagne on this hype train on uh, on the 17th when that when that comes up and uh, pull out a big celebration. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I believe, man. I, I gotta have faith. I've been driving this hype train for years, man, and there's been there's been some low moments on this hype train. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but we are we are now reaching the uh, the top of the mountain. Uh, we're reaching the final destination uh, for this train, pulling into the final station. So uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. So we got this. Ooh. Can't and, wait. And then it's going to be just a Corbin Burns episode next week. If, oh if my wins, God, dude. Be ready, everyone. Dude, That's all the, we're going to talk about. The victory. People are probably just going to end up unfollowing me on Twitter for the victory <laughs> lap that I'm just going to be taking over everybody. I'm talking receipts. I'm talking just celebration, everything, man. Like I am, I am so looking forward to it. I'm going to be taking, if this ends up happening and, and they announce Corbin Burns is a Cy Young, the victory lap here is going to be legendary. I'm, I'm telling you that. I can't wait for it. Let's, uh, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get to the finish line. Uh, can't wait. All right. I think that's a good spot to end for this week. Um, lots of lots of great stuff that we talked about here in the pod. I mean, the Mets and David Stearns, you know, des you know, they're desperately lusting after him and uh, how he just simply does not want them. And I mean, he did tell the Met or uh, he did tell John Heyman. He's like, I'm happily employed by the Brewers. So it's like, you know, 
Sounds like someone saying I'm happily married and you keep on trying to hit on her anyways. You know, it's just kind of like, hey, she's told you no, she's happily married. Maybe just like move on to someone who's single and like right there next to you. But whatever. Um, so, yeah, went over Mets and Stearns, uh, Avisail Garcia, Colton Long, qualifying our free agents. The hitting coaches. We got hitting coaches. Hitting coaches. Finally. Um, so now we have new people to possibly be mad at. Uh, if the offense ever struggles. So there you go, Brewers Twitter. You have someone to be angry at now. All right. That'll do it for us this week. We'll be back again next week, hopefully with a Corbin Burns victory lap uh, episode as the offseason continues. And uh, we we keep you updated with everything on the Milwaukee Brewers here on the Cold Brew Podcast and on reviewing thebrew.com. Be sure to check out all of our stuff there. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.